Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. Uh, we're in a verse-by-verse series on the entire Gospel of Mark. Uh, so today is part four. We're finally going to finish chapter one today, so we're going verse-by-verse very methodically. And today we're going to see Yeshua focus on this threefold ministry of prayer and preaching and healing. So turn with me to Mark 1, 35. Mark 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 35, and put it on the, on the overhead as well. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Yeshua got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Shimon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they explained, everyone's looking for you. Yeshua replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So we travel throughout Galilee, uh, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean the whore. Filled with compassion, Yeshua reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Yeshua sent him away at once with a strong warning. Uh, that you see that, you tell, tell this, not, not tell this to anyone, tell this to no one. But go, show yourself to the Kohen, to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moshe commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, he went out and began talking freely, spreading the news. As a result, Yeshua could no longer enter a town openly, but had to stay outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, what we're going to see in today's portion, today's passage, is this, this threefold themes. Number one, the richness, the richness of Yeshua's interior life with God. Number two, the richness of his exterior ministry to others. And number three, how we can grow in that same wealth of character and power. So number one, Yeshua's interior life. Number two, his exterior ministry. And number three, how, how we can walk in that as well. So number one, the richness of Yeshua's interior life with God. Look at verses Mark 1, verse 35 to 36. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Yeshua, he gets up, he leaves the house, goes off to a solitary place where he prays. Shimon, Peter, and his companions go to look for him. When they find him, they exclaim, everybody's looking for you. Now, when the people learned that Yeshua had this miraculous power, power to heal, power to cast out demons, power over nature, the response was overwhelming. Everybody wanted an appointment. Everybody wanted to see him. Simon Peter says to Yeshua, everyone's looking for you. The response was absolutely overwhelming. Now, I want you to notice Yeshua's response to this time of extreme busyness, uh, of tremendous opportunities, uh, of incredible popularity, of over-the-top productivity. Yeshua's response is very different from what you and I would do. Because when we come into a time of incredible popularity and productivity and opportunity to get so much done uh, and to do the things we've always wanted to do, The first thing that goes for us out the door is quiet and solitude and prayer. That's immediately squeezed out. 
about the overhead. But for Yeshua, the busier he got, the more he prays. The more his busyness increases, the greater his time of prayer. And the overhead, uh, we learned two things here about prayer. Number one, the supreme priority of prayer. The supreme priority. Look at what Yeshua actually does. Look at verse 35, Mark 1, 35. Early, very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Yeshua got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, the word used here for a solitary place is the same word used earlier for, for the desert or for the wilderness. Uh, so Yeshua, he doesn't just find some nice room with a view. No. He goes away to, to an, uh, away from all the inhabited places. He goes out to the waste, uh, to the wilderness to pray. And by the way, the, the, what's called the imperfect continual tense verb is used here, meaning he's keep, he keeps praying and he's praying for some length of time. So from the time he woke up, while well, it's still dark, until the time uh, the apostles get up, they realize he's not there, they go on the search party, and they finally find him, this would have been many, many hours. Yeshua was spending hours in prayer. Now what does this mean? First of all, if you and I, who, who are flawed, weak people, uh, and he's the son of God, uh, if he thought he needed more prayer, that the busier he got, how much more do we need it? When you and I, we come into maybe one of these times of great productivity, and we have all these opportunities, and we're busy, and everybody wants us, what do we do? We use this time, we use this opportunity, maybe to, uh, to make more money, uh, maybe to help people, uh, maybe to make a name for ourselves. Yeshua, he was standing in this time, and in the middle of an opportunity, of the opportunity that would literally change the world. His opportunities were going to change the course of history. And yet he still thought that prayer was far too important to be squeezed out. And if he thinks it's that important, uh, if it's that big of a priority for him, if he increases his prayer when his busyness increases, where do we get off living the way we live? So first we see the supreme priority of prayer. Nothing else is more important. And nothing should squeeze it out. Nothing has a higher priority, not even changing the world. And then on the overhead, number two, secondly, we learn here the dynamic core of what prayer really is. Now this passage does not actually tell us the content of Yeshua's prayer. But if you put this in the context of the entire book of Mark... We know an awful lot about the dynamic core of the prayer, of prayer according to Yeshua. So for example, in Mark 14, when Yeshua is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the first word out of his mouth is Father. In fact, he actually uses the Aramaic or the Hebrew term Abba. Uh, Abba is a familiar form, uh, can best be translated probably as Papa. Uh, for a Jewish audience, this would have been startlingly, shockingly intimate. The term Yeshua uses here in addressing God. The first thing out of his mouth in the Garden of Gethsemane is Abba, Papa, Father. And when the disciples ask him how to pray, Yeshua gives them the Lord's Prayer. Well, what's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? How does it start? Avinu, our Father. Same thing you see in all, in all four Gospels, almost every single time, every place Yeshua prays, he calls God his Abba, his Father. Now what does this mean? The essence of prayer is not 
give us this day our daily stuff. That doesn't come first, does it? It's not even forgive us our wrongdoing. As important as that is, that doesn't come first uh, on the overhead. What comes first is relationship. The essence of prayer is searing into the senses of your mind and heart the white-hot fact that in Yeshua, in Him, the cosmic Lord of the universe has now become your Father. Your Father. That is the essence of prayer. That's the beginning of prayer. That's the foundation of how much everything else is based. That in Yeshua, you are adopted into God's mishpacha, his family. We become his children, his yeladim. And he becomes our father. And as our father, we can approach him anytime. Now imagine the president of the, of the U.S. You can't just walk into the White House, right, unannounced, to approach him anytime you want. You might be shot. <laughs> but if you were the little son or daughter of the president, you could approach him anytime you want. The same for a believer with God. In Yeshua, Adonai has become our father. And we can boldly, yet reverently, approach his throne of grace at any time. The beginning of intimate, biblical, God-centered prayer Again, it's searing onto our, our minds and our hearts this white-hot fact that in Yeshua, the creator of the universe has now become your Abba, your Father. The infinite, absolute, transcendent power of God himself, the Lord of the universe, has now in Yeshua become personal and gentle and loving and intimate and relational for you. This understanding is the foundation of the type of prayer life that Yeshua models for us and bids us to enter into. On the overhead, the power that spoke the world into existence is now in Messiah, motivated and shaped by their tenderest, fatherly, parental love for you. Meditate on that. It will motivate and will energize your prayer life. You know, it's been said that when you become a parent, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Meaning that when you become a parent, inextricably, unavoidably, your happiness is bound up with their happiness. So, so that if they're happy, you're happy. And if they're not happy, you're not happy. And if that's true for us, who are flawed and broken human parents, how much infinitely more must God, who in Messiah has become your father, how much more must he passionately, lovingly be committed to you? And that's what Yeshua is modeling for us. That's what he's conveying to us here. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, back in Mark 1, verse 10 and 11, at the immersion, uh, the mikvah of Yeshua, uh, that God descends upon him, and the Father speaks from Hashemayim, from heaven, declaring in Mark 1.11, You are my son, whom I love. In you I'm well pleased. The Father, he speaks infinite love and delight over his son. And every time Yeshua goes to prayer, he receives more and more of that. That is the foundation of what prayer should be. And we, excuse me, we 
desperately need this. We desperately need, in order to be a praying people, to continually grow in and develop our loving, intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. Indeed, uh, the, the engine of Yeshua's life, uh, uh, the, the power of Yeshua's life, is the joy of his sonship with the Father. And in prayer, he goes back to this every single day. And, and it lights his heart with fire. Uh, uh, and that's what gives him the joy to handle his ministry. And it gives him the power to do his ministry. And most of all, it gives him the object, the purpose of his ministry. Which is to create a multitude of others who have the same fatherly relationship with God as his sons and daughters. So on the overhead. So prayer was the very foundation of Yeshua's life. And the purpose of prayer, the ultimate purpose of prayer is not to get things from God. It's to get God. And to the degree that you know the unconditional fatherly love of God. To the degree that through prayer you orient your heart into that reality. To that degree you don't need human power or approval or comfort or control. They don't, these things don't control you. They don't influence you. They don't enslave you. You can handle anything. You can handle losses. You can handle provocation and persecution. You don't have to scrounge for love and security and significance and safety from all these other things because you don't ground your meaning in them. You're free. Prayer connects you to God. Prayer frees you from all the bondages and the idols of this world. That's the richness of Yeshua's interior life. Because he's a son of the Father. He has the freedom that he now has from the world and the flesh and the devil. Now how do you get that same confidence? The God, he's not just your boss, but he's your father. How do you get that confidence? Well, let's keep going. Point number two on the overhead. Second thing we learn in this passage isn't just the richness of Yeshua's interior life with the Father, but also the richness of his exterior life, his external life, his external ministry uh, to others. We see here that Yeshua's ministry is both word and deed. Uh, now, the issue in front of Yeshua in this particular passage uh, uh, and, and uh, the reason he's probably praying here, it's implicit here in Mark, but it's explicit in a parallel passage uh, in the book of Luke. So in Luke chapter 4, we read about the same set of issues. Yeshua's been doing all these miracles throughout Capernaum. Uh, he's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons, cleansing the lepers. And in Luke 4, we're told that Yeshua, he goes out to pray. Townspeople come out to look for him. And then Luke adds this little extra bit of the very end. Luke 4.42. They urged him not to leave them. And now we know a little bit about why a loving heart like Yeshua was under, under this pressure. Why he needed to pray. The townspeople, they were asking basically for two things. Number one, they said, stay here. Don't leave us. Because you can meet all our needs. You're finally the one that can solve all our problems. So number one, please stay. Number two, please meet all our needs through your miraculous deeds. Stay put and meet our needs through your supernatural deeds. But what happens? Sure, he gets up and after prayer he says, no. Uh, I'm, number one, I must keep moving uh, to go see everybody else as, as well. And number two, I'm not, just, you know, I'm not just here. Hear me well. He says, I'm not just going to meet the needs you know you have through the, all these miraculous deeds. But I'm also going to meet the needs that you don't know you have 
through the preaching of the word. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to call people to be converted, to be reborn from above. I'm not just going to feed the hungry and heal the sick. I'm also going to minister and preach God's word. So we read in Mark 1, verse 38. Yeshua replies, Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So, so we travel throughout Galilee, uh, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. Now it's interesting, uh, when you minister through deeds, whether it's feeding the hungry or, or praying for the sick, you're meeting needs that people know they have. You know, when you're ministering by preaching the word, you're often meeting needs that people don't know they have. You know, indeed, uh, when Yeshua preached the word, he said in Mark 1 verse 15, the kingdom of God, the Malkut HaShemayim, is at hand. Do Teshuvah, repent, and believe the gospel. That's the ministry of the word. Repent. You need to be reborn and regenerated. You need to be made into a new creation, uh, with a new heart and a new spirit. Uh, you are now dead in your trespasses and sins. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again from above. You're flawed, you're weak, you'll fall short of God's standards, of the the law's standards. You need God, you need grace, you need atonement. You are a sinner, you are not righteous in yourself. Now today, we don't want to hear that kind of message, do we? (laughs) You see, when we meet the needs, uh, the, uh, the felt physical needs of people, when you feed the hungry, when you heal the sick... These people know they're hungry. They know they're sick. Uh, uh, They readily uh, accept these deeds that meet the needs they know they've got. But Yeshua says, yes, I'm going to meet those needs, but you've also got a lot of other needs you don't even know you have. And it would not be loving of me not to meet those needs also. Now, what do I mean when when I say that the people often don't want to hear uh, about needs they don't know they have? They don't want to hear about needs they're, they're in denial about. Here's a great illustration. Back in the 18th century in England, during the, the Great Awakening, uh, Lady Huntingdon, uh, a British aristocrat, was converted under the preaching of John Wesley and uh, George Whitfield and, uh, and the early Methodists, uh, and she became born again. And she was filled with joy, and, and she wanted to share with all others, especially those of her class, her, her upper class. So she would invite others of her aristocratic class to come to he- with her to hear her favorite preacher, John Wesley, uh, who, by the way, who was not a member of the, of the official established church, the Church of England. Uh, he founded this little upstart uh, gospel movement, later known as the Methodists. Uh, but most of her fellow aristocrats, they were taken aback. Uh, by all this noisy religious fervor, they had no interest in coming to one of his revivals. And there's a very famous letter that's come down to us uh, by the Duchess of Buckingham, replying to one of Lady Huntingdon's invitations to hear John Wesley preach. The Duchess of Buckingham wrote back to Lady Huntington, declining her invitation, saying as follows uh, on the overhead: She says, "It is monstrous to be told that you had the heart." As sinful as the common wretches that crawl the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your own ladyship should relish any such sentiments so at variance with high rank and good breeding. (laughs) But Yeshua says, I've come to go after the people who don't know or don't think they have a spiritual need. 
Whether these be, be rank atheists, or religious Pharisees, or self-satisfied disdainful aristocrats like the Duchess of Buckingham. I've got to go after them too. And not just the hungry and the sick and the prostitutes and the sinners who know they have a need. I've got to go after your soul and not just your body. So in Mark 1.38, Yeshua replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Yeshua came to preach the gospel, the good news. Not only to be a miracle worker, not just to feed the hungry and to heal the sick, but what miraculous deeds, yes, they were also a a key part of his ministry. Uh, Because the very next thing that Mark records is that Yeshua heals a man with leprosy. It's a rat. So we see both aspects of Yeshua's ministry here. No words without deeds. No deeds without words. So I want you to, to look at the richness and the fullness, the, the comprehensiveness, the multidimensionality of the salvation that Yeshua brings. He insists on calling people to personal conversion. Repent. You need to be saved by grace. You're a sinner. Uh, and yet he also uh, pours himself out in self-sacrificial love through deeds to meet uh, and heal the needs of others. And he calls us who claim to be his disciples, to do the same. And the perfect case for this multidimensionality is the leper himself. Mark 1, verse 42. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Yeshua was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. He was cleansed. Now, right here, you've got this perfect case study of what I'm calling the multidimensionality of Yeshua's salvation and of our human need. You know, leprosy in in those days was not just a disease. Uh, It was a total condition, uh, physical, social, economic, spiritual. Physically, to be a leper... It meant literally you were falling apart. <laughs> it was a terrible uh, skin and nerve disease, which was literally eating you alive. Uh, you're falling apart in misery. Uh, your flesh uh, stank uh, and oozed. It was considered highly contagious. Uh, so socially, you become a pariah. Uh, uh, and because you're considered contagious, you're an outcast. You had to cover yourself. You had to socially distance. We know about that, right? (laughs) If anybody comes near you, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, to warn them away. You generally were not allowed near inhabited places. You had to (laughs) self-quarantine. You were to stay out in lonely places away from society. You know, babies, studies show, cannot live without touch. But lepers were forced to live without touch. Lepers had to live in absolute emotional human isolation from society and community. They were socially completely cut off. Uh, They therefore had no economic means of support either, uh, so they had to rely on charity. Uh, As I said, they were physically falling apart. uh, And spiritually at the time, most people considered lepers to, to be cursed by God. And because they were contagious and they were considered ritually unclean, Tamei, under Torah law, they were excluded from worship. In fact, I want you to notice the Jewish context of how this is worded here in Mark. The leper doesn't say, please cure me, or please heal me. No, what does he say? 
cleanse me. And Yeshua doesn't say you're cured or you're healed or you're made well or you're made whole. What does he say? Be clean. Leprosy made one ritually tame, uh, unclean, under Jewish biblical law. And once it was cured, he becomes ritually tahor. He becomes ritually clean. Lepers were unclean. They couldn't go to the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash. They were excluded from from God's presence. And there were very strict social codes governing the treatment of lepers. Not only uh, these social codes punish the lepers if they dare to come into an inhabited place, but they also punish you if you happen to come near a leper. So on the overhead, here's an excerpt from, from the Mishnah. It says, uh, if a leper stands under a tree and a clean man passes by under that tree, the clean man becomes unclean. So if you're ritually clean, but you walk by a leper, you don't even touch him, but you just get too close to him, such as within his shadow, or even within the shadow of a tree he's standing under, you become unclean. So for now, so, so, so you now, for a period of time, you can't go to worship. You gotta stay away from certain people and places and things. So these rules not only punished the lepers who came near us, but punished us for coming too close to them. So this leper, he needs multi-dimensional salvation. And he knows it. If he were a Greek or a Roman leper, uh, he says to Yeshua, if you're willing, you can make me well. But as a Jew, he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And that meant clean before God, clean before my community, uh, clean physically. He knows, see, he needs it all. He knows it. And Yeshua gives it to him. Indeed, the text, it goes, in fact, the text goes out of his way to say this in Mark 1 verse 41. Yeshua reaches out his hand and touches the man. Why? Yeshua does not need to touch him to heal him. <laughs> no, of course not. We've seen Yeshua heal with a word. We've seen Yeshua heal from a distance with a thought. On the overhead, Yeshua is not touching the leper because his body needs it. Yeshua is touching the leper because his soul, his neshama, needs it. Yeshua is doing it out of love. He's not ignoring the soul. He's touching a man who's absolutely starved for love. And he reaches out and says, I am with you. He reaches out and gives the first personal touch this man has had in years. He's giving him the multidimensional salvation that we all need. And if you want to know why, the motivation is listed right here in verse 41. It says Yeshua was filled with compassion. Literally, it says, Yeshua was moved from the depth of his being by love. And that's why these two things, word and deed, they're inextricably linked together. If you love someone, you meet all the needs of them that you see. You don't debate about, for example, doing evangelism versus helping the poor and the needy with food and housing and medical care. You do both. You do both word and deed. If you see a need, whether it's spiritual or social or physical, you meet the need. You meet them all, all the needs, because of love. Because you're motivated like Yeshua by love and compassion for them. And that's what Yeshua does. Do you see the richness and the comprehensiveness and the multidimensionality of Yeshua's ministry here to others?
Now, two quick applications before we move on. The first one is corporate. Corporately, what kind of congregation do we need to be if we're going to embody this ministry of Yeshua ourselves? We don't want to be, uh, excuse me, we don't want to be obsessively focused, for example, uh, uh, just on law and rules, because that results in legalism uh, and, and a religious spirit. Uh, which produces pride uh, and, and ju- in us and judgmentalism towards others. Legalism and a religious spirit do not create a soul exploding with love and compassion. It does not create an attitude of deep humility. Uh, uh, knowing that, that we're just a sinner saved by grace and therefore we're no better than anybody else. So how can we be prideful and how can we be judgmental? But you also don't want to so exclusively focus only on good deeds that we neglect the greatest act of love of all, which is sharing the gospel. We must tell people that they must be born again. We must be willing to call out personal moral sin and tell people they must repent. That they are, that literally, despite how unpopular the message this is today, that they are sinners heading towards hell without Yeshua. We must preach the need for conversion and rebirth and regeneration by the blood of the Lamb. Because only a new heart and a new spirit can change you from within. Only the gospel produces a regenerated, transformed person. A new creation. Someone who neither despises the world nor merely reflects the world. But you love the world. You're separate and you're different from the world. Uh, 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 but you have love for the world and you work for its redemption both internally and externally. Because that is the example of our Master Yeshua. Uh, as utterly different from the world he was, he nonetheless laid down his life for the world. He died for his enemies. On the cross he cries out in Luke twenty two thirty four, Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeshua produces a congregation that's not in anyone's typical grid uh, or, or map. It defies uh, being pigeonholed because it operates on a supernatural, biblical paradigm and worldview. It's time. Can we be, will we be, that kind of congregation? The kind that attracts people from every tribe and tongue and ethnicity and race and religious background and socioeconomic class because we preach Yeshua and Him crucified as our core vision and central message and we live out our, His love for others from our supernaturally changed heart. Can we be that congregation? That's the external application of word and deed. But it's also a personal application as well. Do you see what Yeshua does here? He touches this leper. Uh, Look at at Yeshua's tenderness and his compassion and his love. Uh, And Yeshua says, that's the type of godly character that I can form in you. He says, follow me. Become like me. The goal of a disciple is to become like his master. Now you you must ask, well, how can this type of godly character ever be reproduced in me? And the answer is right here in the example of the leper. Uh, 
on, on the overhead. If you make the scandalous offer of unconditional service, you will see the scandalous offer of unconditional love that will change you. Let's look at these two things. First of all, you've got, you've got to make the scandalous offer of unconditional service. Look what this leper does. Look at Mark 1, verse 40. A man with tarot, with leprosy, he comes to Yeshua, begs him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. First of all, do you realize what a mad dash for life this was? Because lepers were not allowed to come into inhabited places. So here's Yeshua in the town. He's not by himself. He's in an inhabited place full of people. The leper comes to Yeshua in this inhabited place, bows down on his knees. And at this point, you realize he's breaking all the codes. And therefore, he's totally at Yeshua's mercy. Because if Yeshua does not heal him, there's a good chance this man might be beaten to death by the irate townspeople. So by coming to Yeshua, the leper is absolutely putting himself at Yeshua's mercy. It's a scandalous thing he's doing. He's breaking all the social codes to come to Yeshua and throw himself on Yeshua's mercy and grace. But it's even more scandalous uh, what he says. He says in Mark 1 verse 40, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Notice he doesn't say, you have to do this. You, you have to make me clean. I've risked everything to come to you. Uh, I'm going to get killed if you don't heal me. Uh, he doesn't say, you've got to make me clean. No, he says, if you see fit, if you're willing. He doesn't say, if you make me clean, then I'm willing. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I trust you. I've come to you. I've thrown myself on your mercy. But nonetheless, I will not make any demands upon you. I will not presume to tell you what you must do. Yeshua, you do what you see fit. But if you're willing, I humbly ask, please make me clean. The leper has dropped all conditions. Now, over the years, you know, I've talked to a lot of people over the years who were interested uh, at different levels in Yeshua faith and in following Yeshua. And they often say to me, well, what's Yeshua's position on this? Uh, and if I become a Yeshua follower, if I become a Messianic Jew uh, or a Gentile Christian, you know, would I, would I have to do this? Or would I have to give up this? Or refrain from that? It's like, uh, yeah, I want Yeshua's blessing in my life, but I have various needs uh, and desires and, and things that, that I like doing. Will Yeshua address all my needs and not squelch all my desires? Now, what's wrong with this line of thinking? If Yeshua is who he says he is, how could you possibly even know and understand your true self and what you really need and want unless you first know and understand him? How can you accurately answer the question of what you need until you first answer the question of who he is? To think you know what you need before you know who he is is truly illogical. The only logical thing to do is to say what this leper says. He says, if you, Yeshua, are the ultimate Lord of all reality, that means I give up my right to decide how to live my life. I give up my right to presume to tell you what my greatest needs are. 
I put myself unconditionally at your service. Now, if you will do that, even today in the midst of our hyper-independent, hyper-individualistic culture, where only the individual, not the corporate community matters anymore, uh, uh, where we're just told to be your authentic self, uh, that, that only you matter, if you fully submit all your rights to Yeshua, then you are going to become a leper. Because in our society's eyes, by doing that would be just as scandalous, just as shocking as what this leper did. People will say, it's amazing to me that your ladyship would hold to such views at variance with high rank and good breeding. Uh, or perhaps today they would say, at variance with social wokeness and politically correct speech. Uh, 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 being authentic only to oneself and one's own inner desires and self-identity. That's all that matters. How could you do anything at variance with that? Because we willingly give all that up when we truly submit our lives to Yeshua and we count all else as rubbish, as dung, compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Yeshua and Him crucified. That's why. So on the overhead, ask yourself today, am I willing, on the overhead, am I willing to be a leper in society's eyes? Am I willing to make the scandalous offer of unconditional service to Yeshua? But we can't stop there. That's not all it takes. Because if we stop there, we can all easily fall into, to the, uh, into the category of legalism uh, and religion. Because the other thing that will utterly change your life is if you spend the rest of your life gazing at and seeing the scandalous offer in return of Yeshua's unconditional love for you. What the leper does is amazing. But what Yeshua does is even more amazing. Do you know what he's doing? It's actually, actually what he doesn't do uh, that's so amazing. You see, throughout history, we've got religion. And religion says, if you work very, very hard to be very, very good, uh, you'll get to heaven. You must stay away from all those who are soiled uh, and tainted and stained. And therefore, whenever two different things get together, whenever the clean and the unclean get together, the clean becomes unclean. Always. But now, suddenly, Yeshua touches the leper and makes him clean. The clean comes in contact with the unclean, and yet the unclean becomes clean. And Yeshua tells him to go present himself to the priest as required by the Mosaic law, because Yeshua is the Jewish Messiah. He does not come to abolish the Torah, but to bring out its fullest, most originally intended meaning. And he tells the leper this in Mark 144. Go show yourself to the Kohen, to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moshe commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Because the priest will certify him he's been cleansed, and therefore he can now be incorporated back into the community. Now notice that Yeshua himself does not go to the priest to also be declared clean. Well, he's touched a leper. You would think now he would be unclean. So now he would need to go and do all the ceremonial cleansing prescribed by the Torah. But he doesn't. And by not doing this, because we know he keeps the Torah perfectly, by not doing this, do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he's claiming? 
For the first time in history, these two things come together, and then the unclean become clean, becomes clean, and the clean does not become unclean. On the overhead, here's what Yeshua was saying. By himself not going and not needing to go to the priest for the ceremony required by the Torah for ritual cleansing. He's saying, I am cleanliness. He's saying, I don't care. He's also saying this to you today. You today who feel unclean and who feel stained and dirty. He's saying, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care even what's been done to you. I don't care how inadequate you feel or how ashamed you are. If you come into connection with me, you are clean. Yeshua is saying to you today, it doesn't matter how stained or how tainted you are. It does not matter. I am cleanliness itself. Yeshua is saying, you Lady Macbeths out there, trying to clean that damn spot off your soul. And you, and, uh, you don't have to go mad like she did. She couldn't cleanse her blood-stained hands or her guilty soul. But in Yeshua, you can. Yeshua, he is not just some religious teacher giving you advice how to make yourself fit for God. No. He says, I am fitness. Through me, you can be cleansed. Through me, you can come into God's presence. Now, how can he make that claim? How can he offer that to you? How can he say, I am cleanliness itself? Notice Yeshua tells the leper, he says, don't tell anyone what I've done. Right? He says, don't tell anyone I've cleansed you. But instead... The leper does the opposite. Look at Mark one forty-five. Instead, the leper, he goes out, begins to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result of this, Yeshua no longer can enter a town freely, openly, but has to stay outside uh, in lonely places. That the people still come to him from everywhere. As a result of the leper going out and spreading the news, the leper and Yeshua have now changed places. Because of Yeshua's cleansing... The leper, who used to have to live in lonely places, he's now welcome back in community. And because of the leper's sin of disobeying Yeshua, now Yeshua, who used to go from town to town, he now has to dwell out in lonely places. And do you know what we therefore have right here? We have a picture of what happens at the end of Yeshua's life. Because at the end of his life, he's crucified outside the gate. On the garbage dump. He's taken outside to the place of the lepers. Indeed, in rabbinic literature, this suffering servant Messiah, who Isaiah 53 says is despised and rejected, he's called the leper Messiah. The rabbis expressly identify Messiah with the lepers. On the overhead. Yeshua on the cross, he takes our uncleanliness. He becomes the leper. He becomes a pariah. He becomes unclean on our behalf, bearing our sins. He's excluded so that we can be taken in. It's all summed up beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him sin 
who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He paid your penalty. On the cross, our uncleanliness does, in fact, go to him, so that now we can be forever clean. And this is the answer to everything. This is the key to everything. Do you want the kind of prayer life that he had? Do you know uh, that God isn't just your boss, but he's your your loving father? Because Yeshua has done all this for you. Do you want to have a ministry rich in both word and deed? Driven not by ideology, but by love. This is what will fill you with compassion. This is what will conform you to his image. Intimately knowing Yeshua and abiding in him. When Peter says to Yeshua, Mark 137, everybody's looking for you. Peter spoke more truly than he realized. Everyone hearing my voice right now is looking for Yeshua, whether you know it or not. And if you miss Yeshua, you will turn to something else. You will turn something else into Yeshua. You can look for something else to give you hope and meaning. You're going to put your trust and center your life in something else. You know, in prison, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, he asked Yeshua, Matthew eleven three, Are you the one, or should we look for another? Notice carefully, John did not say, Are you the Savior, or should we stop looking for a Savior? Because John the Baptist knows better. He knows you're going to look for a Savior. You're going to look for something or someone to do for you what only Yeshua can do. And you're going to destroy that thing or that person with the crushing weight of your soul. Because whatever that substitute Savior is, it can't be anything like Yeshua. So look to Him. Find Him. Embrace Him. Surrender to Him. Worship Him. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Music team, I said, please come up. Hallelujah. Father, Abinu Malkinu, Father, our King, we thank you today for your word here in, the, in Mark's gospel. Impress upon us today the priority of prayer, daily spending quality time with you, sitting at your feet, basking in your presence. If you, Yeshua, made prayer a priority, how much more for us? So forgive us, Lord, for letting all these other things squeeze out our time with you. Help us to make prayer a supreme priority. And and sear into our hearts and our minds that, that in Yeshua we now come to you, Lord, as our Heavenly Father, as our Abba. Lord, help us also to love others in both word and deed, to meet their physical needs, also to meet their eternal spiritual needs by sharing with them the gospel of your salvation, Yeshua. And Yeshua, like the leper... I hereby give up my right to decide how to lead my life and to know what my greatest needs are. And I put myself unconditionally at your service. Even if that means being seen as a leper in the eyes of society. Because all else is dung compared to the surpassing glory of knowing you. Yeshua, thank you today for your cleansing power Uh, the cleansing power of your blood. You are 
cleanliness itself. You make the unclean clean. You cleanse us from our spiritual leprosy. You took our sin and guilt. And you became a leper. You became an outcast on the cross for us. You became the leper Messiah. So that we could be cleansed. Lord, let this truth flood our souls. Let it flood our souls with your love and mercy and compassion. We pray this all in your name. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat.